This is Real Estate Rookie episode 335. My name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today, we've got someone who's like a born, bred, raised in the, you know, the, the, Basque of all things bigger pockets. Uh, we got Tim Yu on the podcast, and uh, he's been a faithful listener uh, for quite some time. He said he listens to the podcast every day for almost two years, uh, but really used everything he learned in the podcast to really kickstart uh, his investing journey. The guy closed on 10 deals in a year, a little less than a year, actually. And you'll get to hear exactly how he made that happen. Yeah, I love how we go through every single deal. So listen to him talk about all the ways he was able to finance these deals not one was funded the same exact way. So he's going to break down each deal he did and how he was able to get financing for them or get a very creative um, win deal. He only paid $2,000 out of pocket and didn't have to go and get a bank loan. So he explains how he was able to do that. He even got he even got paid to buy a property. He went to the closing table and got a check back. So you'll get to hear how he made that happen. Um, but overall, Tim is just like, I think, uh, a shiny, shining example of what happens when you're a big part of the bigger pockets community. Uh, he was active on the real estate rookie Facebook group and the YouTube channel on the actual podcast itself and the forums. And it's like, when you do those kinds of things, good things typically happen. So if you're part of the rookie community, um, and you haven't yet, we would love if you could leave us an honest rating and review. We're at 1,595 ratings as of this recording. Uh, so hopefully by the time this airs, we're at like 1700, we should be there at least. Um, but take a few minutes, let someone know what you think about the show. Uh, because honestly, the more reviews we get, the more folks we're able to reach. And uh, hopefully that leads to more stories like Tim's. So take a few minutes, leave that review for us. And if you have a story like Tim's or you just completed your first deal, we would love to hear about it. Please apply to be a guest on our podcast by going to biggerpockets.com slash guests. And I will tell you that if you don't think that your story is good enough, it probably is good enough. And we'd love to have you on. And I'll also tell you a little secret that when our producers go through the application, they love, love extra, extra detail. So really take your time and give us all of the nitty gritty about how you got into real estate investing. And we would love to have you on if you would take the time to share it with the rookie community and inspire others. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? 
Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. We know and you all know why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, Rent Ready now offers proof of income verification. So Rent Ready's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hey, uh, I appreciate you guys bringing me on the show. Uh, I'm Tim. I'm 30 years old. I'm actually a full-time Army officer uh, stationed at Fort Knox, and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I started investing back in November 2022, and I kind of dabbled in a lot of different things throughout the last year. Um, at first I wanted to do long-term rentals through bursts, and then I ended up having a love and passion for fix and flips. Um, and then I went into the creative space and that's where I'm kind of right now. So awesome. So before we go any further, just kind of give us an overall picture of what your portfolio looks like today. Yes. So I have, uh, two duplexes. Uh, I have three single families in Louisville, Kentucky. I have two, uh, partnerships in Oklahoma. They are two single families as well. And then we also have a fix and flip partnership in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I'm currently working on a fix and flip right now in Louisville, Kentucky, which we just started renovations. And then we're closing on a property in a couple of weeks, which is a seller finance deal. So, And so you had said 2022. So this was all within a year. Yeah. So November will be my one year anniversary wow, of awesome. real estate investing. That is amazing. Yeah, um, so cool. it's been so fun. I, I just want to ask something because uh, let, let, me, let me ask this question first. Before you got that first deal in November 2020, how much time would you say you spent educating yourself, kind of getting yourself mentally to a point where you were like, okay, I'm ready? Yeah. So there was a lot of things that I kind of did. So, um, you know, I was always an investor of some sort. I had that mindset with stocks. Um, so I did, you know, the 401k, I did the Roth IRA type thing. And, you know, I, I my, my brother-in-law is actually a big investor, um, with stocks and stuff. So he would teach me, Hey, if you make $50 mowing a lawn, 
put half of that away in a 401k and then you can keep that half to spend it. And he told me that when I was 11 years old. So I've always, as soon as I started working a full-time job, I always decided to put money away into my investment accounts, um, which we'll go into that probably later of how I, you know, used it to invest in real estate. But um, prior to that, you know, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. So if anyone's in the military, especially the army, you know that all the duty stations are terrible locations. And, you know, I, I was single at the time, so I wanted to live in a city. So I had to commute to work every day. So I drove 50 minutes each way every day for two years. And I kind of got started on real estate by listening to you guys. Um, so I listened to the Rookie Podcast every single day for almost two hours a day for a year and a half. And so you're sick sitting, of us by now. <laughs> I, I mean, I still, I still listen to you guys. It's, it's absolutely incredible because, you know, I sat in my car one day and I realized I was listening to you guys for a year and a half and I never did anything about it. Um, I always wanted to say, Hey, I wanted to buy a house now, but maybe I'll just do it later. And, you know, I ran into a real estate agent by chance. Um, when I was trying to get out of my rental lease. So I was asking the lady, Hey, when do I need to tell you I'm moving out? And she's like, why are you moving? Well, I want to go buy a house. And a real estate agent literally walked around the corner and was like, Hey, I'm an agent. Do you want to work with me? <laughs> no and, way. <laughs> you know, and I still work with her to this day. Uh, she's incredible. And I was like, let's do it. Let's go get a property. <laughs> we, that, that's a lesson learned for all of our, our agents that are listening to the podcast. Just lurk around corners and just wait for <laughs> you until you hear someone say that I want to sell my house. Um, but, but Tim, I, so you, you have this year and a half journey of like educating yourself, which is what I've found is like kind of the typical time range for people that really take action is somewhere between like a year to two or yeah, six months, to like a year and a half is like a good time frame typically. Um, but you, you close in that first deal and then you just go on like a rampage, right? Where you've got like 10, 11 deals done in a year. And I know we'll get into the specifics, but just like at a high level, was it your intention going into it to move this quickly from the beginning? Did the motivation or, or the momentum just kind of build after one deal? Like what was it that allowed you to move so quickly? Yeah, this was definitely not the plan. I, I wanted to do one property every couple of years uh, because I, I'm i a veteran, so I wanted to use my VA loan. So I wanted to do house hacks, right? Um, that was the big strategy that I wanted to start off with, which let's house hack a deal or let's you know renovate a property in Burr and just slowly grow from there. And I think they call it like the real estate bug. I bought one house and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. <laughs> like, I think uh, the most fun I have now is going to the closing table. So I think it's it's just been a rush. It's been so much fun. And the people you meet in real estate world is incredible. So I, I think it just snowballs from there. So let's talk about being able to fund all these deals in a year. Where is all of this funding coming from, let's kind of start out with the first deal and then maybe walk through how you were able to fund the other ones. Okay. So the first deal was a, originally was going to be a burr. So it was around Thanksgiving time. Uh, I was walking in the park with my girlfriend at the time, who is now my fiance. Um, thank you, man. I appreciate it. And she was actually yelling at me saying, Hey, get off your phone. We're outside. Like enjoy the weather. And I'm creeping on Zillow the whole time. And it was on the MLS and a house was a hundred thousand dollars and it actually dropped to fifty thousand dollars overnight. So we went, so we went to go see it. There was definitely something wrong, but there was a squatter in the property. Uh, 
that the seller had to get rid of and he was out of state. So I offered $40,000 cash to purchase the property. Um, they accepted the contract like the next day and I realized I didn't have that money in my checking account. So I asked my agent like, Hey, what do I do? And she's like, look at hard money loans. And I had no idea what they were. So I went on YouTube and became a YouTube warrior and was just watching videos on hard money loans. And I ended up linking up with a hard money lender at one of my local real estate meetups. And he was like, Hey, if this is your first deal, I'll fund you because I actually had some issues getting some hard money lenders to approve me. Um, just cause of my lack of experience and they weren't exactly confident on the property. Um, but he actually took a chance. So he, he loaned me 90% of the deal and I had to find the rest to close. So I begged my parents. I was like, Hey, loan me some money. It, this is going to work out. And they actually said no. So they, they're like very old school. Um, you know, we don't have like a, you know, a financial background. Like they had all their money in a checking account. And, you know, for the last 20 years, so they didn't really feel comfortable with this type of investment. So what I did was I was like, well, if you don't lend me the money, I'm going to sell my 401k off and I'm going to fund this deal myself. And that's kind of what I decided. And, you know, it's like we talked about earlier, you know, my whole foundation was stocks, you know, and invest for 30, 40 years and retire off that money. And, you know, I'm sitting in my room like contemplating, you know, liquidating the account. Pushing that button. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and, you know, they had to call me and say, are you sure you want to do this? And <laughs> I literally was like, I need another day uh, to kind of think about it. But at the end of the day, I think I took a chance and took a gamble. Um, and I think a lot of investors and entrepreneurs have to take that leap one day. And, and um, I said, I think I'm going to make more money doing this than sitting in my retirement account. And that's pretty much how I decided to press the button and, and sell it all. So first, I, I just have to acknowledge this. You threatened your parents that to give you the money or you're going to liquidate your 401k. Did they say, go ahead? We don't care. Like, that's on you. <laughs> they, they basically told me like, hey, you know, you're an adult. Yeah. You know, if you really believe in this, you know, you doing that shows that you're serious. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll Which support I think me. is a wonderful response. Yeah. Yeah. Like they support me and what I do. Exactly. They, yeah. Do they agree on everything? Uh, 100% no. But it, it's um, the support that is important that, you know, yeah. they weren't saying like, don't do it at all. You're making a super stupid decision. It's that, you know, if you're really passionate about this, you want to do that, then make that investment. Sorry, before we move on, I just want to ask one question because you, you mentioned this, Tim, about the, the hard money lender. And you said that because you didn't have any experience that a lot of hard money lenders weren't necessarily kind of excited to work with you, which is true. A lot of hard money lenders kind of tend to favor working with folks that have a, a bit more experience. But you said you found this hard money lender at a, at a real estate meetup. Were you just like going around shaking hands saying, hey, someone give me some money? Or like, how did you, how did you kind of broach that conversation? And if I'm a new investor in a similar situation, what should I be doing to find that hard money? Lender? Yeah. So I watched a video a long time ago. Um, on, on YouTube, it was one of the big investors out there. Um, and he said, Hey, if you go to a meetup, don't just go to a meetup to just, you know, network, right? Um, he said, have an intention and have a plan. So I went to that meetup looking for a lender of some sort. I wasn't sure if it was going to be 
you know, a private person where it was a friend and wanted to just lend on the deal, or if it was going to be like an entity, like a hard money lender or something like that. So I went, I asked everybody, Hey, do you know any lenders? Do you need hard money lenders? And that's how I got connected with a couple of them. And like the next, you know, throughout the week, I, I called every single one of them and they're like, we have a minimum amount of money that we want to loan out. And my deal was under that threshold. So a lot of those hard money lenders wanted at least a hundred thousand dollars loaned out. And I was asking for 70. So they were like, well, it doesn't meet my requirement. And it also, you don't have a lot of experience. So we don't really want to lend on this. And luckily this one guy said, Hey, I've been in your shoes before. And, you know, as long as you can show that you have some sort of money in the back. So I leveraged the 401k. I said, I have this money in a piggy bank and I'm willing to let it all go if this deal goes south. And he was like, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's close. So with that first one, was it more just the experience part or was there something actually with the deal they didn't feel good with? <laughs> a lot of it was the experience and the amount of money, uh, I'm asking to borrow. So because it was under a hundred thousand, they're like, it's kind of not worth it for us to take the chance. And also they asked me, you know, how many properties have you done? I was like, this is my first zero and it wasn't in the best neighborhood either. So. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering, just because sometimes, you know, the hard money lender will actually do their own analysis of the deal. And curious as to, they said, like, we don't like the numbers on this property at all. Yeah. So they actually, the guy who agreed to do the deal actually sent out his own appraiser. Um, and then it ended up appraising for 118. Um, so we were, all, yeah. So we were all in on the deal for 70 and it appraised for 118. So then he was like a hundred percent like good to go on it after that. Okay. So let's just go into how you funded some of the other properties real quick. And then maybe we can go into one of those deals and work through the exact numbers on it. But I think uh, what a lot of people want to know, which I want to know is how were you able to get these 10 properties within the year? So what were some of the ways that you scraped up money? So your first deal liquidated your 401k or, you know, and then you had your your money guy, but what are some of the other ways you've had to, to fund the deals? Yeah. So, so after the, after we purchased the first property and we were renovating it or, um, I had the real estate bug. So I was looking for another deal. Um, since I liquidated the 401k, I had about $30,000 left, um, just sitting in the pot. So we found a duplex on the MLS that needed a little bit of work. So I went full traditional. I did the 20% down on that property. And I did the light renovations myself. And then that, that's just a long-term rental. And then as we moved forward, I was out of money. So I used pretty much all my money on that down payment. So then I started looking for, um, to use my VA loan. So the next property was the duplex. That's the house I'm in now. Um, we got, you know, the 0% down with the VA loan. And then we also had seller's concessions where the, um, the seller actually paid for the down payment. So I actually got paid a couple hundred dollars to close on that. So I live in one unit and then the other unit in the duplex is actually a midterm rental for nurses um, because Louisville has a crazy uh, nursing market out here. There's like five or six hospitals around here. Um, now I'm completely out of options. I have no money, no VA loan. And I was like, let me try wholesaling. Real, real quick, Tim, before you go forward, let, for anyone that doesn't know what a VA loan is, let's just 
break that down as to no down payments. You didn't need any money for that. Um, did you qualify to have no closing costs or did you have to pay closing costs on it? Yeah. So you had to pay co- closing costs with the VA loan, um, but you can negotiate with the seller um, to have seller's concessions, which you can use that money to either buy points down on the loan, or you can go towards the closing costs, which is what I did. And the really great benefit about the VA loan compared to the FHA is you don't pay the PMI. So you don't pay the mortgage insurance, which saves you a lot of cash flow. Um, so that's what the VA loan is awesome. And also you can use it for uh, any residential property. So one to four plexes, you can use the VA loan on it. So it's a great tool to house hack. Yeah, that was a great explanation. Um, I think there is one circumstance where you can avoid paying closing costs. And I think that's if you have a certain eligibility of a uh, disability. Yes. From, uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That, so if that you have, be, yeah, I don't remember yeah. what the limit is though, but. So yeah, that's a crazy program. Uh, uh, obviously I'm still in, so I don't, I don't have that disability, but yeah, if you have the disability uh, on you, you also, um, the more you use your VA loan, so the first time you use it, you don't have to pay like this crazy fee. Um, but that fee is waived every time once you have your disability. So it's actually, it gets even better for you. We also did an episode recently, number 329, where we did a, a really deep dive into doing VA loans, if anyone wants to learn more about that. I, just one one quick comment too, Tim. You mentioned that you got paid to close on that duplex. Can you, can you just explain what that means for people? Because you, you glossed over that, but it, I mean, it's a, it's a cool concept. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in Kentucky, there's a certain maximum percentage of seller's concessions. So I think I got about nine to $10,000 of seller's concessions and my closing costs were almost about that range. So since I moved all that money to my closing costs, I actually was in the net positive. So when you show up to the closing table, it's crazy that they cut a check to you. (laughs) Uh, I was really surprised, but it was enough seller's concessions to pay off everything, which is great. So tell us what, what happens from there, man. So you, you get to get this duplex, move us through how you funded the, the rest of these ones after the, the VA loan is gone. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I didn't have any more money. So I was kind of like, man, uh, I still want to buy stuff. I still got a crazy like addiction to trying to buy houses. So I started trying to wholesale and that really didn't go well. I tried working for somebody and that's how I kind of started with the partnership stuff. Um, I, I wanted to work for somebody and gain some like knowledge and mentorship by serving as a cold caller. Um, I realized that I really didn't want to do that. So, um, I started seeing creative finance options, you know, the seller finance, the, uh, subject to deals and all that stuff. And then I started getting really into that. And that's what kind of landed me on my, on my next deal. Um, in Louisville, it was a single family. It was a subject to deal. Um, the, it, then that's when I took over the person's mortgage payments. She was actually a full-time nurse and didn't want to manage her property anymore. And it was zoned for Airbnb. Um, so when we talked to her, you know, she wanted to listen on the market, but it had no equity in the deal. So if she sold the house, you know, she would actually have to lose money to do so. Um, so what we tried to do was, you know, I actually pitched arbitrage. I didn't know how to do that. Uh, she didn't want to do that. She wanted to sell it outright. So. Explain what arbitrage is real quick. Yeah. So it's when someone leases a property from somebody and furnishes it and lists on Airbnb and the person who furnished it manages the property and you don't own the property at all. So the seller or the person who owns the house still owns it. They're just leasing it out to you and you're doing all the legwork on it. So 
that's how you can generate, you know, that short term, short term rental revenue without actually owning the property. And, uh, I hope that was a good enough explanation. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she didn't want to do that. She wanted to sell it outright. So I literally talked to her on the phone for like two, three hours about subject two and if it was legal or not. And, um, we actually convinced her to do it. And then I ended up buying it subject two. And then I actually turned that into a midterm as well. All right. So sh- let's, let's break down what subject two is for, for folks that aren't familiar with that phrase as well, Tim. Okay. So subject, purchasing a home subject two is when you take over an existing mortgage. So her mortgage was 3.96% interest rate. And I think at the time when I was shopping around, interest rates were around 6%. Um, so I got a really good mortgage rate. So the PITI was super low. And I guess the way I kind of explained this is, if you're buying a bag of groceries at a grocery store and you have the bag of groceries and you swipe your credit card, right? Who owns the groceries? You do, right? You're holding the bag of groceries. If you give it to your aunt down the road and you give her the bag of groceries, who owns the bag of groceries? Your aunt. And how do you prove who owns the groceries? It's the, it's the receipt to the grocery bag. So we treat the receipt of the groceries as the deed to the property. So they give us the receipt or the deed to the property, and then we just take over their credit card payments or their mortgage payments. And you're now the owner of the house. That's a really cool explanation. Yeah, good analogy. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, no. no. That's like better better than Pace describing. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, I I mean... we heard that story from Pace, so I've, I've it's like burned in my brain. But yeah, I think yeah. that's a great story to yeah, kind of explain yeah. sub two. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I paid her two thousand dollars on top. So we took over the property, we took over the mortgage, and we gave her two thousand dollars on top. And the incentive was she was going to lose seven thousand dollars in the deal. Um. So you know, she instead of losing seven, she gained two thousand. Now she doesn't have to worry about the mortgage, and we took over the property. So. Let me ask you this, because this is something I've always wondered, especially when Pace talks about sub two. And I see a lot of um, agents who like specifically go towards vacation rentals, short term rentals, saying buy houses at sub two. Are a lot of these people selling like so if they got have that really great interest rate, they probably bought it within the last three years and are and it seems like some of them are selling because it's not profitable for them. Why would somebody else want to come in, take over, so they'll have the same expenses from them and kind of take over those payments and then renting it out? What is the thing that I'm like missing in this gap? Is it poor management? Is there not taking advantage of pricing? What are, what, what am I missing in that scenario? Is if someone's not making money on this house, they want to sell it. Why would I come in, take over their payments in? I think people try to get into the short-term rental business and especially if they're out of market. So if they're out of state, I think it's to our advantage as creative finance investors because they think it's going to be super profitable until they realize they got to deal with the constant turnover and managing the cleaners. And then also if they're out of state, they probably have a property manager and they're, and they're paying a lot of money to manage these short-term rentals. For us or for me, like in this market, if I take over someone's mortgage and I keep, you know, all the PIT at the same, I'm probably going to save a lot of money on managing the property myself in the market. And also, you know, 
you know, you save that 15, 20%. And I think that's huge. And then also since I'm boots on ground, I can go see the property and make sure that the cleaners are doing their job and, and doing all that other small stuff that actually gets people dinged up on their reviews or, you know, it just eats into their cash flow. But I think, you know, from my experience, I, I think it's because of that, you know, they're, they have, you have that expenses. advantage that you're self-managing or saving that management fee. And then also you're able to have a better product because you're the boots on the ground overseeing it. And you kind of have that quality control, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't do any short terms. Um, that, that short term rental that probably would have done well as a short term. I just turned into a midterm because I have, you know, I have the midterm in the other unit right here. So I have some experience with that. And I think I like the slower turnover because I do at least uh, three month contracts with my midterm nurses versus like, oh, there's a, a weekend stayer and I can manage it myself with that. But if it was a short term rental, I probably would have to hire somebody because I'd have to keep going and, and, you know, turning over the property and stuff. Yeah. I've always wondered about that because I, it seems like it's becoming very common that people are doing sub two to vacation rentals. Tony, what are your thoughts on that? Have you guys bought anything sub two? Yeah. You know, we haven't purchased anything sub two. Um, but it, like in, in terms of like, why would I buy a property? I, I think a lot of what Tim said is true. It's like, I, I guess first, like taking a step back, right? There, there's probably a couple different motivations as to why someone would want to sell their short-term rental. Uh, it could be because they have a property manager in place and that property manager just isn't performing well and they don't have the time, desire, ability to manage it themselves. So like, Hey, you know, I could make more by selling this, you know, than continue to pay this property manager 25 or 30%. Right. Um, the other motivation is that they have been managing it themselves, but maybe they're burned out. Like maybe they underestimated how much work goes into managing a short-term rental. They haven't really set up the tools and systems and automations and software to do it the right way. So they're like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, and in both of those situations, like Tim said, I think there's an opportunity for you to come in as a new host and improve the performance of the property. Like even let's say that first motivation where maybe they had a property manager that was charging them 25%. If I come in and you know uh, I'm self-managing it myself, I'm immediately adding 25% to the bottom line, even if everything else stays the same. And that could be a big difference in, in profitability, right? I might have to pay my VAs a few bucks an hour, but it's significantly cheaper than 25%. Or maybe they weren't doing things like using dynamic pricing tools. Maybe they weren't, you know, maybe they have really old listing photos. Maybe they hadn't changed the linen since the 80s. Like who knows what it is, right? But you come in, do a little bit of a refresh. And I, I do think there's an opportunity there for folks. We know, and you all know, why it's super important that good tenant screening is absolutely critical to your management process. Luckily, RentReady, the comprehensive property management software, has a new feature that makes tenant screening a complete breeze. In addition to TransUnion certified tenant screening, RentReady now offers proof of income verification. So RentReady's automatic tenant proof of income verification ensures an in-depth check of each applicant's financial stability and earnings. With Plaid certified tenant income and asset reports, you can see a potential tenant's income summary and total earnings by month. It's time to say goodbye to that whole gut check tenant screening and feel confident renting out your property with Rent Ready. Now, Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP like Bigger Pockets Investor for six months of Rent Ready for only $1.
Hiring, your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act, a new federal disclosure law affecting every real estate investor. Corporate Direct is a family business founded by attorney, author, and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton over 35 years ago. Now, his son Ted is a licensed attorney working with him. Together, they've helped thousands of real estate investors form and maintain their LLCs and protect their assets. If you're trying to build a real estate portfolio, do not skip the LLC. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets. Hey, so Tim, sub two, what's your next financing you did? We've got the VA loan, sub two. Uh, liquidating a 401k. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now, uh, now we go into the partnerships in Oklahoma and Atlanta. So, um, I actually met these partners through a mentorship that I joined down the road and I met those partners through there. And, you know, for the partnership stuff, you know, it's, it's a really scary game too, because you're not only marrying the deal, you're also marrying that partner. Um, so the ones in Oklahoma, I actually met somebody out there that does, uh, GC work himself. So he does all the renovations and, and manages those type of projects. And those two deals were actually sub two deals as well. And I funded the deals by raising capital. Um, so I brought the money to the table into the deals and then he managed the project and found the tenant buyer. So, um, how we got rid of those deals as long-term rentals where we actually lease optioned those, those two houses out to end buyers. And Can that's you explain how we explain what deals. that process is doing a lease option. Uh, so like explain the lease option process. Yeah. yeah so a lease option process, I guess the easiest way for me to explain it is that you rent it out to somebody, um, with the option to purchase the home later. So I guess like the slang term is like rent to own or, you know, something like that. But, but you know, it's a two part deal where you lease the property to somebody and they rent it and then they have the option to buy it from now to however long you set the terms. So for those two properties, we set a five year term. So it's a fixed purchase price for that amount of time for that buyer to qualify for a loan and then purchase it outright with the lender. 
And Tim, you've got like so many tools in your in your tool belt here, man. So I guess what what what's been your your process for like I guess let me let me frame the question this way. There there's a lot of people who read on certain topics or, you know, YouTube university at podcasts, whatever it is. Um, but like you said, it, it took you 18 months to kind of feel confident to do that that first deal. And you went from that deal to the the duplex, which was somewhat similar, right? But then you like really took off into the the creative finance space. Was it was it that you were surrounding yourself with the right kind of people? Because you mentioned going to the meetups, you mentioned that the the mentorship program, you mentioned you know all these other things. You've been meeting people. Was it your network that kind of gave you that confidence to try all these different strategies, or was it something else? Oh, 100 percent. So I know a lot of people talk about Robert Kiyosaki's book, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and it gets them started in investing, and it's an amazing book. But the book that I really love that I kind of live by all the time is is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Um, that book really changed my mindset with business owning and entrepreneurship because it, it really talks about instead of you spending hours, months, and years learning a strategy like lease option to finding the person, you know, in your community or in your mentorship program that has been doing those type of deals and to find those people to help you, right? The who's in your world to help you, you know, catapult your career or catapult your journey. And the way that you get those people to help you is try to figure out what value you provide. Because I know there's a lot of people that say, Hey, go network with people, go network. And it's, and it's absolutely true. But I feel like a lot of people just ask people for help and they don't really know how to ask for help. So like for me, I, I like talking to people. I like building relationships. And I think that's where I kind of figured out like, Hey, that's how I'm going to bring value to the team. Like, let me go talk to investors and bring some money to deals because I don't have the money myself and I'm not generating the leads myself. So to find someone that has a lot of leads, but doesn't have the funding to get those deals done. That's when I kind of figured, Hey, this is where I'm going to sandwich myself in between these deals. So do you think a big part of this, if somebody's just starting out is finding that money partner finding how to finance a deal first by making those connections, or is it finding the deal first, then going out and searching for those connections? I think if you find a really good deal, um, and, and you guys may have different experiences, but you know, if you find a really good deal and the numbers make sense and it's going to make money for, you know, you or a partner, I think the money will come once you find the deal. Um, because, you know, even me as, you know, a normal guy looking at properties and stuff, if the deal makes absolutely sense and I can fund it somehow or, or, or bring the, bring the money, we're both going to win. So I think it's a lot of people are afraid. Like, like I was too, uh, you know, I was like, I don't have the money to do all this stuff. But once I started realizing, once you bring a good deal to the table, the money's going to come from somewhere. If you reach out to enough people. Yeah, Tim, I'm, I'm so glad you you said that because I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think finding finding a good deal makes everything else exponentially easier, right? And I I I heard this story over the weekend. It was this marketing guy, but he was talking about how sales is easier when you when you're better at marketing. And he he gave the example of uh, two different cars that you were trying to sell for four hundred thousand dollars. And he said, say imagine the first car is like an old beat up VW bus with blown out tires and you know the air conditioner doesn't work and you know hasn't been touched since 1970 and you're trying to sell that for $40,000. And then the second car is, you know, a uh, Rolls-Royce 
right? Which retails for $300,000 and you're trying to sell that for 40,000. You could be the world's worst salesperson and still sell the Rolls Royce for for $40,000 because it's an amazing deal. And you would have to be a hell of a salesman to get someone to buy the, the VW bus for you. So a lot of that comes down to like, like raising capital as well. It's like, if I've got a really, really good deal, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how big my network is because someone's going to find that deal, right? I could go into a random Facebook group and say, I've got a really good deal and you're going to have people breaking down your door. So for a lot of our rookies that are listening, I think if, if the capital is a constraint for you, then try and focus your energies on how do I find a really good deal and then let everything else kind of flow from there. Absolutely. All right. So we've been talking a little bit of funding. Did we get through all the deals yet? I think you got a couple more left in there, right? We haven't touched on them all. Like let's, let's quick rapid fire the, the last few deals and how you funded. Okay. Those. So the, the fix and flip in Atlanta, um, I actually, I, I, it's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, the Atlanta flip, I used a, a credit card. Uh, so I used a business credit card that had like a promotion on it. It was like 0% interest. So I funded that deal in Atlanta. We sell it and we lose it Wait, hold on. Month. I have a second. Did you use that to purchase the property or to fund the rehab? To fund the rehab. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, how yeah. did you yeah. so, with a credit card? I've yeah. never seen anyone buy a property with a credit I've card. I've seen people do a cash <laughs> advance and pull out the cash yeah. off the credit card. So I used the credit card. I paid like the 2%, whatever, to transfer the money into the checking account. And then I wired it to the Atlanta title company and then he's renovating the property and then we're going to list it uh, actually in a couple of weeks. Wow. Was that a, was that a business credit card or a personal card? Uh, business one. Gotcha. Which one was that? Uh, the, uh, it was a Wells Fargo card. So it had like a uh, interest, it had 0% interest for like, I think nine months. So it, it's coming due soon. So I got to we got to sell this house. Well, I, <laughs> I used the Wells Fargo one too for a funder rehab. We actually did it for all the materials. So we didn't do a oh, cash nice. advance or anything, but we did it for all the materials. And they had a promotion too that if like for the, I don't know, first nine months, if you made your minimum payment every month, that they would extend it to 12 months. And I think oh, we nice. paid it off already, but it did extend in case we have another project that comes up we need it for. But yeah, I mean, they're a really good tool. Um they're, they're so underrated. Definitely. I mean, you could fund a pretty good rehab um, and doing your materials. And then you just have to worry about coming up with the, you know, the cash to pay your contractor. Unless your contractor takes credit card. I just actually did a dumpster removal where they cleaned out a property and took the, dump, the dumpster and everything like that. And they emailed me the bill and they're like, Pay by credit card. I'm like, yep, racking up Excellent. those credit card points. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next deal, the one that I'm renovating now is a hard money loan. Uh, it's just a normal fix and flip. We did a cash offer and then used a private money lender to cover the rest of the costs and holding costs. And we just started reno this week. And then the house that we close on in a couple of weeks is a seller finance deal. So uh, we're going to do light reno, little down payment, and we're going to use a private money lender on that deal as well. Hey, awesome. So a wide variety of different ways to finance properties. I do want to go back to, okay, so you've been able to purchase all these properties with this different funding, but now I'm curious about the rehab portion of it. Did you have any kind of construction experience at all? No, absolutely not. And I looked for general contractors on the Facebook pages and networking events and that kind of led to uh, my first deal's struggles 
because of my lack of experience and lack of network and having that those systems in place. So are we going to talk about that like more in depth? That kind of led into my first deal with the contractors and the lack of experience. And I think the contractor knew that, you know, that was my first project and I lacked experience. And I picked the cheapest one because I figured, let me use the cheapest contractor to make the most spread on the deal. And it ended up costing me a lot more money because he, we had to hire a new contractor later on to fix a lot of the stuff that he originally did. And also, since he knew that I was really inexperienced, we didn't do a contract and it was the last third of the project. And he actually asked me to pay him in advance because he had to pay his workers. And I said, yeah, you know, you've done a really great job for me the, the last like month or two. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to pay you. So I gave him the last third and then he literally stopped showing up to work. And I know a lot of people have like issues with their first GC and all that stuff. And, and it's definitely true. Um, he disappeared on me. So I had to paint the house myself and put all the light fixtures up myself to get this listed. Um, and the project took really long because I had to do it myself towards the end. And I remember I was supposed to burn this house and I ended up listing it on the MLS to just get rid of it. Cause I was just bleeding, holding costs and all this stuff. And as soon as that house was listed, there was like a drug bust right across the street. <laughs> so it was a lot of madness. I, I wanted to just stop real estate investing after that and, uh, it ended up selling. So, um, we made a little bit of money off it. So I think that's why I felt okay, but it was probably the most expensive learning experience that I've had. And I think that's what's helped me with the, like the further projects because now I actually GC my own projects here in Louisville where I hire my own contractors, you know, floors, windows and all that. And I think, you know, my military background kind of helped me with that because I like managing stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of fun to me. So, and I feel like I can sleep better at night. So Tim, I guess the, the logical next question is you must've picked up that drug bus house on like a pretty good deal, right? Uh, I try to buy it. I, I try to buy it. Uh, I couldn't get a hold of the seller, but, but I tried. I wonder why. I, I really tried. Um, I, it was all boarded up and stuff too. So I was like, oh, let me try to, let me try to find the seller. But no, I, I couldn't get a hold of them. I was at a real estate meetup once and this wholesaler came up to me and, and the drug bus happened at the, at the <laughs> No. <laughs> and the wholesaler came up to me and I, I think he was a newer wholesaler. I didn't know him and he's like, Oh, people told me I should talk to you that you invest in this area and it was one of the rural towns that's actually um close to where I went to high school. And he's like, Here I have this house here, like here's the address and stuff. And I was like, Okay, I'll look at it, I'll email you. And so I pull it up. I'm like, why does that house look familiar? And it, I like searched the address, just Googled the address. And it was, um, there was, it was a meth lab, the people that owned it. And I remember like my mom calling me and telling me that there was like this meth lab, this drug bust going on in this house or whatever. And this was probably like five, eight years ago, maybe. And so I said the wholesaler, I said, well, has there been any remediation done? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this house was a meth lab and it's a vacant since the cops busted up and he had no idea or whatever. And it was just like, it was just like you literally Googled the address and information like that came up. So just you're trying to wholesale houses or you're buying houses, just take the time to put the address of the property in and Google it and see if there's any news articles on that, <laughs> on that property. But, um, yeah, actually, I see that finally somebody ended up buying it and they're slowly doing stuff to it. 
Okay. Well, any last words of advice for somebody that's doing a rehab or project managing? So you said your military background has definitely helped you with that. What are some of the things that you have implemented that make you a strong project manager? Yeah. So I like to uh, set deadlines now. And I think uh, organizing the project in, in thirds or quarters and having that contract laid out, I think that's really important is to not do those handshake deals with your contractors and to have that contract that's organizing, you know, hey, I'll pay you in thirds or I'll pay you in halves after you finish this set list of items. And it's actually really nice too, because if you're, if you're using a hard money lender, a lot of those hard money lenders will pay you or for your renovations after they go see it, right? They inspect it or you take pictures of it. So it's actually, it helps us too out when you break down those payments and those organized manners, because once they finish that project that you can call the hard money lender, they'll inspect those items and then they'll cut you the check and you can pay your contractors. And with that contract, you know, it, it, it really keeps your workers in check as well. And also I like to add a little bonus too. So if I have like a 45 day project, I'm like, Hey, if you finish it in 40 days or 38 days, whatever it is, I like to give them a little money on top. So they have a little bit of incentive, but also not too fast. So they rush the deal and the project kind of gets messed up. Yeah. Well, Tim, yeah, it seems like you've learned a lot since that first deal. And, uh, sometimes things going south can be the best teacher and, and you, you tend to learn a lot when things go wrong, sometimes even more than when things just go perfectly right. Uh, so it, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're able to take some of those lessons. The, the next question I have for you though, is, is about how you're actually structuring these different partnerships. And, um, obviously Ash and I wrote the book on partnerships for, uh, for bigger pockets. So head over to biggerpockets.com has partnerships. Um, but, but Tim would love to hear just your experience on how you've structured these different partnerships across the different deals. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I've had, I actually had a partnership with somebody that didn't work out. So it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but, um, a, a lot of it is, you know, you find find what you're missing in your tool bag. So for me was, you know, the lead generation and um, finding someone in those areas, like out of the market or out of your local real estate market to help you. So for me, obviously I'm not boots on ground. I don't know how to generate those leads in those random cities like Oklahoma or Atlanta. And, you know, I met some of these guys through the mentorship and you always have to do your homework on your partners. Um, because once you, once you work together, you're stuck together until, you know, a good or bad outcome happens. And a lot of it is to see, you know, instead of just analyzing the deal, you got to analyze your partner. So you got to see what their credibility is, how many deals they've done. So I usually try to find them on social media first to see if they're actually, you know, posting content on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. And to see what type of projects they've had. And also, you know, since I've met those guys in a mentorship, I actually asked a couple of guys and girls in my mentorship if they worked with them. And a lot of other students had some really positive reviews about these guys. And so I kind of, I felt like I can trust them. Got it. I love that you're doing a little bit of homework on people beforehand, right? 
I think you mentioned this earlier, but sometimes getting, I mean, not sometimes, every time, uh, in a lot of ways, getting into a real estate partnership is like a, a marriage, right? So you really want to make sure that you, you know, who you're, you know, quote unquote, getting into bed with. Uh, but Tim, love your story so far, brother. I want to, I want to leverage, uh, all the experience you've gained this past year and, uh, let you answer a question from someone in the rookie audience. So we're going to head over to our rookie request line. So for all of our rookies that are listening, uh, if you'd like to potentially get your question answered on the show, head over to biggerpockets.com slash reply. And we just might use your question for the show. So today's question comes from someone by the name of Ja Mac. And Ja's question is, in your opinion, what are the top three things that increase rental value? I'm gathering ideas for a home that we bought and plan to rent out. So Tim, in your opinion, how would you answer this question for Ja? To increase rental value? Like, are they talking about like the rental income, like how much you can charge? I guess let's, let's look at both, right? Both rental value and the after repair value. For the after repair value, you can always, if you have some extra space, maybe, you know, add another bedroom. Uh, or a lot of the projects that I do is we have like huge closets in the master bedroom and it doesn't have a bathroom. So we usually add a bathroom in there because it adds a ton of value, um, renovating a kitchen. Um, you know, if I think one of the projects I did actually in my midterm, the kitchen looked like it was a picture from the 1950s, um, hasn't been renovated. Um, it had the weird turn knob or, or turn knob like ovens. Um, so we, we modernized that, ripped out all the cabinets and, and, you know, gave it a facelift, you know, stainless steel appliances on all and all that. But anything that you can add some value to your property will definitely boost your ARV. Um, and obviously if you make things nicer, you can definitely raise the rents of those properties. Um, if you are trying to make it even more profitable, if it's in a really nice neighborhood or, or a good market for, you know, a midterm, or short term, you can always add value like that by changing the amount of income you're getting. Um, so those are the couple of tips that I can think of right now to boost the value and also to boost your rental income. Yeah, we, um, I love that, love that answer, Tim. And uh, I think a big part for me is looking at your, your comps as well. So like what other properties have sold? in that area and what information can you kind of get from those properties that have sold. And we recently had Serena Norris on episode 330 and she came in and just gave like a masterful breakdown of managing rehab. So part of that conversation was how uh, heavily she relies on comps to come up with her scope of work. Uh, so Josh, if you're thinking about rehabbing a property, I'd say look at some of those other properties in your area, understand what they're offering to folks and uh, see what you can do to match. All right, let's go to our next segment here, which is the rookie exam. Uh, Tim, these are going to be the three most important questions you'll ever be asked in your life, and you're doing it in front of the rookie audience. Are you ready for the exam? I'm, I'm ready. All right, man. So question number one, what is one actionable thing rookie should do after listening to your episode? If, if you're trying to get started in real estate, and I think you should uh, find a real estate uh, investor-focused agent. Um, it's no cost out of your pocket to use a real estate agent. And I think if you find an investor friendly agent that's focused on investments and own their own projects, they can help you, you know, comp like what Tony was talking about earlier, comp properties, find out what the values are and, and tell you what a deal is or what not a deal is. Um, and also when you buy a house on the MLS with an agent, you're not paying the commission. So it's free of charge for you. And I think it's a good way to, to get started and to also build your network as well. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And Bigger Pockets has the agent finder tool too. If you go to biggerpockets.com slash agent finder, you can 
see the selection of investor-friendly agents to really help you out. Okay, next question is, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use? Uh, so I actually use your guys' program for my property management. I use Rent Ready um, because since I'm a pro member, I get it for free. And I've been using it for the last year, and it's super easy. And this is not an ad, but this is it's super awesome. I mean, it's it made my life a lot easier because I was super worried about being a property manager. And it's super nice to get your requests for repairs on there. And also it literally goes directly to your bank account. And a lot of your tenants will really like it too. They don't have to cut a check to you. They can just, you know, wire the money to you. So that's my number one software that I use. And they can don't have to call you to put in the maintenance request. They can just put it in through the app. Just put it in super yeah. easy. Yeah. Um, but for uh, real estate stuff, I use uh, REI Pro, um, my REI Pro. So I use that as my... Um, system to pull up addresses, to pull up information about the properties. Now that costs a little bit of money, but if you're, you know, trying to wholesale or trying to find some good deals, uh, off the market, um, that's a system that I use. Hmm, that's interesting. I've ever, I've never actually heard of REI Pro before. Have you heard of that, the mesh? Yeah. So it's kind of like, pro, it's kind of like prop stream. Interesting. Yeah. There's so many other options that are popping up and Velo is one that has a relationship with, um, with bigger pockets. Privy is one that I just recently found that, that actually seems pretty, pretty cool. So lots of options out there. Um, but last question for you here, Tim, where do you plan on being five years from now? I mean, if you keep the same pace, you're going to be at like a thousand doors in five years, but, uh, what, yeah, what's your personal goal? Where do you see yourself being in five years? For me personally, in, in the next you know, a couple of years, um, I, since I've been shifting towards like the fix and flips and, and shorter stuff, I'm really trying to supplement my W2 income so I can comfortably leave work and start focusing on the business full time. And, you know, I started off with the long-term rentals trying to generate, you know, hundred, two hundred $200 of cash flow a month, but that would take me a long time to eventually feel comfortable to, to leave my W2. So, um, I think in five years from now, is to focus on real estate full time and start building like long term wealth with long term rentals and and still using the flip income to survive. Um, but I think in the long run is I would like to start getting into multifamilies, um, you know, larger than the normal residential stuff. I think it's a great opportunity out there. There's a lot of uh, cool things to get into, and it's something new, something that I'm not familiar with. So. Um, I really like learning. So I think that's what I want to get into down the road. Awesome, brother. We're excited to see you make that a reality, Tim. I hope so. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap things up, I want to give a shout out to this week's rookie rock star. This week's rock star is Marielle Lily Walter. And Marielle says, it's almost unbelievable how much life can change in just one year when you decide to get out of analysis, paralysis, fear and doubt and go for something greater. One year ago, I decided to plunge headfirst into real estate and go hard towards my goals of financial freedom. At that time, I had done just a few real estate deals. Now I'm about to celebrate my one-year anniversary of taking the real estate plunge and decided to look back over the year. So she says in just one year, she's done 12 real estate deals, seven, including seven flips, two apartment building investments, three rental properties, and four new deals under contract. And she finishes off by saying, your dreams are on the other side of your fear. So Marielle, congratulations. Uh, giving you a run for your money, Tim, with uh, 12 deals in, in one year. But uh, uh, super excited to see that that's success happening too. Yeah. 
Tony, when I first read that before you said it out loud, I thought it said your dreams are on the other side of your feet. And it was because there was like a little smear on my computer screen. I was like, huh, I never heard that one before. Like you got to move your feet to take action to reach move your, your dreams. Feet to make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out more information about you? Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on the show. It's been so much fun. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's it's Tim Yu. So we keep it super simple with my name. Um, and you can find me on there and, and thanks so much guys. Thank you so much for listening to this week's rookie podcast. I'm Ashley at wealth from rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.